Would you turn with me to Galatians again this evening, the third chapter? We began last week on a uh, series. Um, my titles are still a work in progress, but we, we know it's about being redeemed. <laughs> I mean, that's a good one right there, right? Being, being redeemed. Galatians 3, verse 6. It says, uh, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. Is that you? Are you of faith? You, that's how you got born again. That's, and the just shall live by faith. Then you are, come on, say it out loud, I am a child of Abraham. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith. See, that's what you used to be. Heathen. <laughs> but now you're not, you're not heathen anymore. Preach before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In you shall all nations be blessed. Now, uh, we've probably received more criticism over talking about that God is a God of abundance, wants you to uh, prosper and be blessed, probably than any other thing. Gotten quite a few ugly grams about that. But uh, you, and you hear people say, well, we don't preach all that stuff. We just preach the gospel. <laughs> I spent a number of years ministering in Brother Hagin's healing school and we, of course, we talked about healing morning, noon, and night. And I had a fellow one time say that. He said, we don't preach all that healing stuff. We just preach the gospel. Well, in Acts 14, among other places, it says there they preached the gospel. I'm, I'm quoting it directly. And there people got faith to be healed from hearing what the Bible calls the gospel. Right? Now, if people never get faith to be healed, I'm not talking, talking about faith to be born again, faith to be healed from hearing what people call the gospel, then it must not be the same gospel Paul preached. You with me or not? And here it says Abraham heard the gospel, right? And what was the gospel? What, what, does, what phrase are we given to tell us the gospel he heard? In you shall all nations be blessed. Here it talks about the, the message of the blessing being the gospel. Are y'all reading with me or not now? Listen, healing is not a side subject. It's part of the gospel. Your material needs being met is not a side subject. It's part of the gospel. Everything that Jesus did in his substitutionary work is good news to us. He became sin with our sin so we could be made the righteousness of God in Christ. He took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses not so we could stay sick. He became poor not so we could stay poor. Come on, can you see this? If he took our place and, and took, became our substitute, that's not a side subject. That's part of the gospel. And when Jesus went to the cross, he didn't just go in spirit. He went spirit, soul, mind, body, didn't he? And, and he didn't just experience one thing. How many understand he didn't have to be scourged at the whipping post in order to go to the cross? Those two different things. He didn't have to have those thorns jammed into his head and be spit on and slapped and mocked to go to the cross. He could have done that without that. Come on, can you see what I'm talking about? He didn't have to have his very clothes taken away from him. He didn't have to be, you know, come out of heaven and be born in a cow trough. You understand what I'm saying? To go to the cross. What's he doing? He took our place. He bought our redemption. Spirit, soul, mind, 
body. Do you believe it or not? Yes, Somebody say, I've, I've been redeemed. I've been redeemed. Spirit, Spirit, soul, soul mind, mind, body. When you say, I'm saved, you said a mouthful. Saved from what? Not just saved from hell. Thank God, if that's the only thing it was, it'd be well worth it. <laughs> but you've been saved. That, that word save, if you look it up, the Greek word sozo, it is also translated made whole, protected, healed, delivered. When you say, I'm saved, saved from what? Everything that was the result of sin and the curse. It'd help you just go around once in a while and say, I'm saved. <laughs> saved. And then start making you live. I'm saved from that. I'm saved from that too. I'm saved from that. I'm, you hear bad news on, uh, bad, bad stuff on the news, you go, I'm saved from that. I'm saved from that. Help your neighbor out. What are you going to say? I'm, I'm saved from that. You hear about a bad disease. I'm saved from that. Some kind of plague going around. I'm saved from that. Violence, I'm saved from that. I'm saved. I've saved. I'm saved. Say, you one of them. Yep, one of them saved. <laughs> saved people. Here, the gospel is called, excuse me, the message of the blessing is called the gospel. Verse 8, he said, uh, the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, that's what he has done for us. Preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In you shall all nations be blessed. Not just saved from hell, but also blessed. What is blessed? We really need some mind renewal on this subject. Blessing and blessed in, in most Christians' lives and minds has been reduced. To a response to a sneeze. <laughs> people sneeze. People go, oh, God bless you. And, and what, what does that mean when they say that? Usually absolutely nothing. Nothing. They're not releasing faith for anything. But when God speaks blessing, it means something. It affects things. It changes things. We, we saw last week. That when he told them, you know, to uh, let the land rest on the seventh year, don't even sow it. Don't, don't plant any crops. And, of course, they're an agrarian society. How are they going to live if they don't plant and reap crops? And he tells them, he says, uh, don't you do it. Don't, you just let the land rest that seventh day, and I will bless you in the sixth year and give you three times what you normally get. So among other things, blessing will give you three times, triple what it would normally produce. When the Lord blesses something, it's not just empty words. It is a release of power that prospers, that enables to succeed. Amen. Well, the reason you should be getting excited is because it just got through talking about, well, actually, excuse me, I jumped ahead. Verse 9, the very next verse. So then they which be of faith are what? Blessed. Are what? Blessed. Blessed. With faithful Abraham. So, Mr. Why do you have to shout it? You, you find out what this is, you'll be shouting too. Amen. Come on, say it out loud. I am, I am blessed, blessed with faithful Abraham. With faithful Am I reading in the New Testament? Yes. Does this belong to you? Yes. Are we a part of the same church they're a part of? They which be of faith, that's me and you. We live by faith. We walk by faith. We're saved by faith. We are, not, not just going to be, we are blessed with faithful Abraham. Keep reading. For as many as are under the works of the law are under the curse for it's written, Cursed is everyone that continues not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. So here he's referring to the curse of the law. The curse that comes from breaking God's covenant, breaking God's commandments. The curse that comes 
from rebellion and disobedience to God. He said, uh, verse 11, but that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it's evident, for the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith, but the man that does them shall live in them. Endeavoring to be righteous before God by keeping the law was not a faith proposition. It was just a matter of endeavoring to keep the laws. It was a matter of external observance. But now we've been born again. And it's a matter of faith. He said, uh, verse 13, Christ hath, we'd say has, redeemed us from the curse of the law. Oh, friend, this is some kind of good news. This is some kind of good news. This curse has affected the whole earth. And unless you experience the keeping power of God, you'll be affected by it too. But those in Christ that walk in faith with him can experience redemption from the curse of the law. Come on, you need to say it out loud. Christ has redeemed me from the curse of the law. Oh man, it'd help you to say that another 150 times throughout tomorrow and the next day and the next day just every once in a while say Christ has redeemed me and don't just stop there from the curse of the law now to even know what you've been redeemed from you'd need to find out what is the curse of the law one of the best places to find out about that is Deuteronomy chapter 28 a lot of big chapter, a lot of verses in there, and it goes through uh, the blessing that comes from obeying God for the first, I don't know, 14 verses or so. And then about verse 15, it says, but if you decide to be a knucklehead, <laughs> that's a Keith Moore paraphrase. If you decide to rebel and disobey, then these curses will come on you instead of the blessing. And you know, cursed, 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 and you'll find that the curse affects us in every part of our life, just like the blessing affects us in every part of our life. Cursed in your basket, in your store, in your crops, in your herds, that's financial, that's material. Crazed in the wits, that's your emotions, full of fear, in doubt of your life, that's emotional and, and mental. And he talked about, I mean, there. I'm thinking before we get through with this, I'm going to take time to go through every verse with you on this. There are, I don't know, 10, 12 verses that specifically talk about physical problems. Everything from fevers to allergies to tumors and growths to cancer. I mean, on and on and on. And then it says, if it's not named, also, this is part of the curse of the law. Talks about genetic things. I mean, on and on. We should be so thankful that we have been redeemed from the curse of the law. Get it built into your consciousness. Most people didn't grow up hearing this. So we need to get it built up in, built into our consciousness. What do you mean? Another way of saying, get your mind renewed. And faith comes by hearing it. And when you're saying it, you're hearing it. And if when you say it in faith, it, it means more to you. Say it another time. Christ, Christ has, has redeemed me, redeemed me from, the from the curse of the law. Now, if you've been redeemed from something, doesn't that mean you don't have to have it? You don't have to experience it. You don't have to have it. But now the enemy is an outlaw. He doesn't care about rules. He doesn't care about people at all. He's a killer. The Bible said, Jesus said, the thief doesn't come unless he's coming to steal or to kill or to destroy. Every evil that you've ever seen or heard about 
in, in among, among mankind, murdering, uh, cruelty, stealing, lying, deceiving, destruction, that is all a manifestation of the devil's character. That's who he is. God delights in showing mercy, the Bible says. He is love. The devil enjoys hurting people. He enjoys killing. He would wipe off the whole planet if he could, starting with us. He's a killer. He's a thief. And, and, and those that are with him, same kind of thing. Every day of their existence, they're trying to destroy something. They get a kick. They enjoy war. They enjoy when riots go crazy and people die in the streets and buildings are burned. That, that means the will of the enemy is being done. People are yielding to him. And the worse it gets, the better he likes it. He thinks this planet is his. And he wants to control everything. He hates us because we are the apple of God's eye. <laughs> we are what he can never be. And uh, no matter how bad he hates it, the book has already been written and finished in the back. Come on, y'all with me or not? And when the Lord say, this is the way it's going to end, that's how it's going to end, no matter what he tries to do. But in the meantime, you and I got to live down here where he is called the God of this world, continually seeking to kill, steal, and destroy. And his strength had been because of everybody sinning, the wages of sin is death, and he had a right, he used to have the power of death before Jesus came. But Hebrews 2 tells us that Jesus uh, overcame him. Hallelujah. Oh, he destroyed, actually, him who had the power of death. The devil ain't what he used to be. <laughs> but he is still an outlaw. He is still, he, even though you've been redeemed, he will manifest all of the death he can in your life if you let him, if you allow him. Look in uh, James, fourth chapter. I should have had you stop on the way in Ephesians. Ephesians, the fourth chapter, then we'll go straight to James, the fourth chapter. Ephesians 4, verse 27. What does it say? Neither give place to the devil. Who's the understood subject here? You. You are not to give place to the devil. Now, there's so much revelation here. First of all, the devil can't just take place apart from you. That's good news. Because he can't just come in and destroy you because he wants to. He can't just kill you, steal from you, destroy your life because he wants to. If he could, you'd be gone a long time ago. But it also reveals you and I have a responsibility not to let him have place. Can you see that? Most church-going people don't acknowledge this. They try to say everything is up to God. And God is controlling everything. And the enemy loves this doctrine. Because no matter what the devil does, these people blame God for it. So the enemy can operate unrestricted. Read it out loud. Am I reading New Testament? Is this, is this the Bible? What does it say? Neither give place to the devil. Is he talking to believers? Is he talking to you? Is he saying you don't give place to the devil? Well, that means I don't have to. That means he can't just take it. 
depart from me. Neither give place to the devil. Say it one more time. Neither give place to the devil. Some of the things that people try to say, you know, they're all twisted and distorted and even evil. And they say, well, I'm sorry, you know, God made some of us nice. God made some of us not so nice. I guess God made me this way. No, he did not. No, he didn't. He didn't make you wrong. He didn't make you evil. He didn't make you cruel. No, he didn't. People have given place to the enemy ignorantly, knowingly. It can start very young. Also, one of the biggest things we need to teach our children is the next verse, James. James 4, James 4 verse 7, what does it say? Again, understood subject. You, so you are not to give place to the devil, and you are to submit yourself to God, and you are to resist the devil and he will flee from God. No. It's not God's job to resist the devil or to make the devil quit or to make the devil stop. Millions are praying, begging God to make the devil stop. And this is wasted prayer. This is ignoring what he told us to do. He told us. (laughs) Y'all are quiet again. He told us to do something. What did he tell us to do? Number one, submit yourself to God. That is the safe place. Under the shadow. Come on, can you see this? Under the shadow of the Almighty. Under the cover of his wings. So what does that mean? Submit to his lordship. Submit to his Holy Spirit. Submit to his holy word. Submit to his direction on a daily basis. But when you do that, It puts you, when you give God his rightful place over you, it allows you to take your rightful place over the enemy. Oh, come on, can you see this? Can you see this? Now, if you're yielding to the enemy and ignoring God, if you're rebellious and refuse to submit to God, yielding to the enemy, the enemy knows he doesn't have to submit to you because you're submitting to him. He knows. You can yell and shout, but he knows he doesn't have to listen to you. But if you're submitting to God, and you don't have to know everything, and even if you've made mistakes, you just repent and jump right back in, right? Submit yourself to God. But if you do that, then when you resist the devil, he will flee from you. Christians are not told to pray and ask God To make the devil stop. Christians are not told. To plead. And ask God. To do something about the devil. And yet that's what millions are doing. We. Jesus said. When he rose from the dead. And appeared to the disciples. He said all authority. In heaven and earth. Is given to me. He will say well see it's all up to him. Immediately he said so you go. (laughs) so you go and do this and in Mark you remember he talks about go into all the world preach the gospel to every creature he that believes and is baptized will be saved he that believes not will be condemned and these signs will follow believers is that right they'll lay hands on the sick and they shall recover they'll cast out demons you remember that these things we do by the authority of He's given us. Jesus left the earth. He sent his spirit. But he manifests his authority in the earth through his body. Through us. We must not be passive or spiritually lazy. We must do our spiritual responsibility in standing up. Shutting down the enemy, refusing to allow him access and place in our life and activities, and actively resisting him. Oh, somebody say resist, resist, resist. So many folks got it backwards. They're yielding to the devil and resisting God. (laughs) 
Wrong, wrong, wrong. Let's, let's get this fixed. Come on, y'all with me? One of the reasons people are, are yielding to the enemy, they don't even think he exists. Are they trying to say that all the stuff he's doing is God doing it? If you think it's God doing it, you're not going to resist it. You know, you shouldn't resist God. But it's not God doing the stealing, killing, destroying. You reckon we should know what the enemy's doing so we'll know what to resist? Should we just assume everything that happens is God and yield to it and go, well, whatever, it must, it must be supposed to be? No. No. What about the enemy? What about what he's doing? We're not supposed to say, maybe it is to be. We're supposed to actively resist it. We're to stand against it. Hallelujah. Go back to Matthew. Matthew 16. So if you say, well, I've heard this before. It won't hurt you to hear it again. And we are just, you know, humorous for the sake of folks that never heard it before. 16th chapter, verse 19, 16, 19, Jesus said, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Does this sound like something important? Yes. This, this is important. The keys of the kingdom. This is both denotes authority and it also denotes how things work. Knowing a key to something is knowing how it works. Having a key to something is having the right to do it, to enter, to lock, to unlock, to enter, to go in and out. I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. What's the keys of the kingdom, Lord? Whatever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Do you believe this? Who's going to bind it? Who? Whatever you. Whatever you. So can you see that prayer to get God to bind it is misdirected? Is he just going to say, you know, now I told you to do it, but just forget it. I'll take care of it. He doesn't change. He doesn't change his word. If you want to get results, you can't just ignore what he said and make things up as you go along and rewrite and try to. You say, well, I I know the Lord said that's the the keys to the kingdom, but I'm going to make some new keys. And we're going to do it this way. No. See, in that case, you're not submitting to God. Submitting to God means respecting what he said and acting on what he said. So. Can you see just with the, the Bible said in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. Matthew's a witness here. James is a witness. And uh, Paul's a witness in Ephesians. That's three witnesses right there. That you and I are responsible to do something about when the enemy tries to come and affect the curse in our life. Spiritual death is part of the curse. Physical death, disease, is part of the curse. Financial and material death and lack, that's part. All those things are included in that list in Deuteronomy 28, part of the curse of the law. And according to Galatians 3.13, we've been redeemed from the curse of the law. Well, what if the curse shows up in your life? Well, we don't know why these things happen. But we just, you know, whatever the Lord wants... Now hold on. Did he tell you to say that when the curse shows up? When something's trying to steal from you, kill you, destroy you, he told you to just be patient and let it happen? Why wouldn't that be giving place to the enemy? Just sitting down, stopping, quitting, letting it happen, not even trying to to resist it. Friend, our responsibility is not to fix everything in our life. Our responsibility is to fight. The good fight of faith. Put up 1 Timothy 6.12 on the screen, please. 1 Timothy 6.12. What does it say? Fight. The good fight. 
of faith and do what? Lay hold. Reckon that would take some activity on our part. Lay hold. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold. Let me, let me quote these to you again. Whatever you bind will be bound. Give no place to the devil. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Fight the good fight of faith. Does this sound like leaving it all up to God and just letting happen whatever might happen? That's four witnesses now. The reason I'm saying this like this is because this what most of the church world is doing is saying God is in control. And so anything and everything that happens must be the mysterious, unknowable will of God. So whatever is to be, will be, so just let it happen. If, you have, if you're in terrible lack and you don't have your needs met, well, somehow or another it must be the will of God. What about the enemy? Is there an enemy? Is he going about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour? Is he trying to steal, kill, and destroy? When are we going to resist him? When are we going to stand up to this? When are we going to start binding stuff, shutting things down, saying, no, you don't. Not in my house, you don't. Not in my body, you don't. Not in my finances, you don't. No, you don't. When you start acting like this and on this, that's when things start changing in your life. Because the Lord, His Spirit, His angels then have a right to do something about it. They have a right to manifest when you do what He told you to do. Resist the devil. What's the next part? He will. How many believe the Bible is true? He will flee from you. Well, then whatever he was doing is going to stop because he's not there anymore. Whatever he was doing to steal, kill, and destroy, that stops because he has to leave. And if he's not there doing it, it's not happening to you. In Proverbs 26, turn over there if you would. Proverbs 26, 2. Thanks be to God. Proverbs 26, 2 it says, as the bird by wandering, as the swallow by flying, so the curse causeless shall not come. Say it out loud, the curse causeless shall not come. Keep that in mind. In, uh, you're there in Proverbs, just uh, back up to the Psalms. Thank you, Lord. In Psalm 125, verse 1, they that trust in the Lord shall be as Mount Zion, which cannot be removed, but abides forever. Can you be strong in the Lord? As the mountains are round about Jerusalem, so the Lord is round about his people from henceforth even forever. That paints a tremendous picture of a protective barrier. Verse 3. For the rod of the wicked shall not rest upon the lot of the righteous, lest the righteous put forth their hands to iniquity. Now some of your translations or paraphrases, even some translations will say scepter instead of rod. And that can be translated scepter, but I don't think that's the correct translation. Rod is also translated rod. It's translated rod in numerous other Verses that indicate the rod of correction and the rod of punishment. And I believe that's correct because notice the very next verse, verse 4. Do good, Lord, to those that be good, them that are upright and in their hearts. Verse 5. Such as turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead them forth, but the workers of iniquities with the workers of iniquity, but peace will be upon Israel. Now, all that has to flow together. One reason I read the rest of the verses. What does that mean? Back up to verse 3 again. You can say it like this. The rod of the wicked or the, the punishment of the wicked shall not rest on the portion or lot or part of the righteous. Lest the righteous put forth their hands to iniquity, then he says, do good to those that are good. How many believe the Lord does not punish the righteous? And if 
The same curse and punishment was on the righteous that's on the wicked. What's your motivation? (laughs) To do good. You see what he's saying? Lest, back up to verse 3, lest the uh, righteous put forth their hands to it. They say, well, hey, I'm going to get the same thing they get anyway. What does it benefit me to do what's right? No, we got into this. We touched on this a little bit last week. It's not just for the righteous to be cursed. Are y'all with me, friends? It's not right. It's not fair. It's not just for the righteous to be cursed. Well, you might say, what, what does that have to do with me? You have been made righteous by your faith in Christ Jesus that also made you the seed of Abraham and made you blessed, not cursed, blessed with faithful Abraham and Christ has redeemed you from all the curse of the law. Because he took our place and became a curse in our place so that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles. Hallelujah. Through Jesus Christ. And we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Now what the enemy will try to do is bring the curse and manifest death in your life and tell you that you deserve it. And if you don't know who you are in Christ and what you have in Christ, you will take it. And if you don't know that there's an enemy trying to destroy you and you think God's doing everything, you will take it. You'll even lie and call it a blessing in disguise. Disease, sickness has never been in any situation a blessing in disguise. Someone says, yeah, but but dear, when I got so sick, I I got back to God. You could have got back to God without being sick. More comfortably. I'm glad you did. But don't say a work of the enemy was a blessing to you. You got the curse and you got the blessing. The blessing never becomes a curse in disguise. The blessing is always a blessing. What about the curse? Now do you know why I'm saying this? Millions of church going people are calling evil stuff blessings in disguise. So what does that mean? They're giving place to the enemy. They're just yielding to it. They're not resisting it. Just saying, well, it must be, you know, we don't, we don't see it right now, but, you know, my, my, my child dying from that disease, well, I don't see it now, but it's a blessing. It is not a blessing. Us getting kicked out of our apartment and house, we don't see it now, but it's probably a blessing in disguise. No, no, no. Is there a devil? Is he trying to steal from you? Is that a blessing in disguise? Is he trying to destroy something in your life? Every day of your life? Is he trying to kill you? Kill your kids? Yes, Yes, he is. But, tell you some of the best news you ever heard in your life. But, you have been redeemed. Oh, you From what? From all the curse of the law, which includes all these things. It includes mental anguish and torment. It includes spiritual separation and death. It includes disease. It includes poverty. That's all part of the curse of the law. But just because the Lord bought it and paid for it and it's available and it's true in Him does not mean you will enjoy an entire life free of any curse. Because there's a devil around. He don't care about the rules. You know what he does? He does what he can. He does what people let him do. 
Unless somebody stops him, he's going to do it. He don't care that you redeem. But when you find out that you have the authority in the name of Jesus, come on, are y'all with me? You find out that the far bigger one lives inside of you and you don't have to take it. Oh, somebody say, I ain't going to take it no more. (laughs) You don't have to take it and you stand up and you're bold and you say, I bind that in Jesus' name. I command that to stop and get out of my life in Jesus' name. Most of the church won't talk like that. They go, who do you think you are? I know I'm a believer endeavoring to do what the Lord told me to do in the Bible. What are you doing? Come on, say it another time. I have been. been. Now let's say it like the scripture says. Christ Christ has has redeemed me me. from the curse of the law. law. Does that mean you don't have to have it? It does. You do not have to have it. Go to the book of Acts. There is great liberty in some things we're talking about right now. What do you mean by this? The enemy, he is, he's so evil. He's so cruel. Even if you get a hold of these things and you find out it's God's will for you to have plenty. It's God's will for you to be free in your mind. It's God's will for you to be healed. Well, then if he attacks you with a problem and symptoms and you have symptoms, then he will also come and try to bring condemnation that you have symptoms that he brought. Look at you. Supposed to be a faith man. Faith woman. And look at all these problems you got. Look at you. (laughs) Supposed to be a faith person. Live by faith. Supposed to believe in abundance. Look at you. Can't even pay your bills. And he's the one that's causing you the problems. And then trying to condemn you because of the problems he brought. Oh, he's a sorry cuss. I'm not going to shed one tear when he gets thrown into the lake of fire. I'm going to say, that's good. That's exactly what needed to happen. <laughs> now let's go on and forget about all this. He made his choice. He, he is unrepentant. He will never repent. That's why it has to be that way. Somebody says, well, I don't, I don't like that. I don't think that's fair. Well, then you want him to move in beside you? And he's never going to repent, never going to change. Mm-mm. No, that's exactly what needs to happen. You need to leave it with God. But uh, in the meantime, down here, we need to understand that it's faith that pleases God. Put up on the screen Hebrews eleven six. Hebrews 11, you don't have to turn there, but Hebrews eleven six. it says, without faith, without what? Without being symptom free. It's impossible to please God. Without being debt free. It's impossible. Why would I say that? Because I think a lot of people talk like that and they act like that that's kind of the big deal. Unless you're symptom free, you're not really a faith person. Unless you're absolutely debt free, you're not really. That's that's lies from the enemy. And so the enemy try. The reason why he's trying to get this condemnation and shame in you is so that you won't resist him, so that you'll give him place and just accept that you're gonna have these problems. It's a spiritual tactic. But you need to be renewed in your mind and be enlightened and not ignorant of his devices. No, God is pleased with what? Your faith. And your body can be full of symptoms and yet you be in faith and God be pleased with you right now before your body changes at all. Is everybody with me? Your job is not to fix everything. It's not your job to, you know, fix everything. It takes his power to fix these things. 
My job is trust Him, believe Him, obey Him, and fight the good fight of faith. Resist the enemy. Is that right? And lay hold of what He told me belongs to me. And resist everything I know I'm not supposed to have. And to fight that way every day, every night, with my last breath. I heard people say, well, what if what if I'm trying to believe God and I die, you know, trying to believe God? Honey, you don't want to die any other way than believing God. Right? <laughs> because what is it that's going to please Him? I assure you, if you came short of receiving a healing, if you came short of uh, getting your needs met, if you came short of some of these things, and you died in the process trying to believe God, when you see the Lord, He's not going to look at you and shake His head and go, you were not debt free. <laughs> You were not symptom free. No. <laughs> Didn't say without being symptom free it's impossible to please him. Or without being debt free it's impossible to please him. Some things need to be fixed. They need to be changed in these areas. Anything that ministers condemnation and shame to you is not coming from God. It's coming from the enemy. And he's not just doing it to make you feel bad. He's doing it so he can keep working destruction in your life. And you won't resist it. My job is to fight the good fight of faith. Resist the devil, no matter how I feel. Is that right? Believe I lay hold on what I know belongs to me, no matter how I feel, how I look. And if I'm really operating in faith, even though my outwardly my life looks like a mess, what's God looking at? He's not focusing on the symptoms. He's not focusing on the bills. Come on, what does he see? He doesn't see like man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance. What's he looking at? What's he looking at? He's looking at your heart. And if you're genuinely endeavoring to believe and resist the enemy, he is pleased with that faith right now. Before anything else changes in your life, he's pleased with you right now. Now you're accepted in Christ even if he's not pleased with all you're doing. But I'm talking about he's pleased with what you're doing. And it also gives him access and gives him a right to do some things and change some things. Acts 22, were you headed over there? Did I tell you that or not? Acts 22. Praise be to God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Come on, sit out loud. Christ has... Redeem me from the curse of the law. He has redeemed me. Oh, thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. He has. I'm still moving a little bit too quick. Well, they can just, we won't turn there. They'll put this on the screen. Before we read Acts, put up Psalm 107. No, do it this way. Isaiah 53, verse 5. Then we'll look at Psalm 107. Then we'll look at Acts. Then we'll look at. (laughs) (laughs) Then maybe we'll go home. Uh, Isaiah 53, are you there? It says, this is talking about Jesus now. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. Is that true or not? Is that true or not? Do you have a right to be healed because of what the Lord has done for you? Yes, you do. Is it right for the enemy to work sickness and disease in your life? When Jesus has justified you and when he took your infirmities and bore your sicknesses, is it, is it okay, is it right for the enemy to do that no. in your life? Does he have a right to do it? No. Is it possible that he could do it? No. Obviously. Does he have a right to do it? No. no. Here's the thing I, I'm, I'm trying to emphasize. We're not denying that we got symptoms. We're denying they have a right to be in our life. Yeah. Oh, come on, can you see this? That's where our faith fight comes in. We're not denying that we got symptoms of lack. 
We're denying its right in the lives of the justified. Hallelujah. We're not denying that we've made mistakes. We are denying the right of condemnation to be on us. Our judgment to be on us. And we need to be so fully persuaded about this. That when any of these things start trying to get into our life. We immediately go into fighting the good faith fight. And resisting and binding. Come on can you see this? And say no you don't. No you don't. You don't have a right. Because the enemy will try. I said he'll try. He'll find out what you know. He'll find out what you really believe. Because if you won't resist him, he will do whatever he can do in your life. Still kill and destroy. Keep reading. Read read verse 5 again. Come on, say it out loud. Jesus Jesus was wounded wounded for my transgressions. transgressions. Is that so I can be wounded? No. No. He was bruised for my iniquities. Is that so I could be bruised? No. No. The chastisement of my peace was upon him. Is that so I, my peace could be broken? No. And with his stripes. Did he take stripes so I could take stripes? By the same token, was he made poor so I could be poor? Was he made sin so I could live in sin? Was he judged so I could be judged? I mean, what is the gospel? It's the good news about how he took my place. Right? He paid the price so that I don't have to. I don't have to have it. But you won't enjoy that just because it's bought and paid for. These spiritual things are real. And the enemy don't care. He doesn't care that Jesus paid the price for you. All that matters to him is do you know it? Can you see that? Do you know it? Or can he work the curse in your life like you're not even redeemed and you won't even resist him? Which is what he's doing in the lives of millions of church-going people. We've all given some place we shouldn't have given. But let's wake up. Let's, let's rise up. Let's make some changes. Come on, say it out loud again. Christ, Christ has, has Redeem me from the curse of the law. What does that mean? I don't have to have it. I don't have to have the curse. Curse from breaking God's law. I don't have to have that in my life. Keep reading. Verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord laid has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Did he take it? Did he pay the price? Verse 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Now let's just stop right here. Did he deserve to be oppressed? Did he deserve to be afflicted? Who deserved to be oppressed and afflicted? We did. Because all of us have gone astray. He, we deserve to be oppressed and afflicted. He did not. But he was. He was oppressed He was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He took it. Can you see this, friends? He took it. He didn't open his mouth. He's brought as a lamb to the slaughter. As a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he. For the second time in the same verse. He did what? Open not his mouth. Did he deserve? To be mocked and spit on. Did he deserve to be treated like the worst criminal. And scourged. And and the source of all sickness and disease. Be placed on him. Did he deserve to be hung on the cross. Like the worst criminal. And the judgment of God. No he, he didn't deserve any of that. But he didn't open his mouth. He took it. And was silent. So we could take it. And be silent. So we could be oppressed? No. So we could be afflicted? No. So we could be quiet no. when affliction comes? No. 
And when oppression comes, we could be quiet and take it patiently. No. No. Somebody say no. 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 Then what does Psalm 107 say? Reckon anybody could guess that. Psalm 107, 1. Psalm 107, 1. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Verse 2. Verse 2. Let the redeemed of the Lord be patient and take it. Be quiet. Don't open your mouth. No, we are to what? Actually, the word so is added. Let the redeemed of the Lord say. Say what? Well, you're redeemed. Right? Redeemed. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Oh, friend, it is vital that we don't just think about these things, but that we actually open up our mouth and force air out of our lungs. Come on, are y'all with me? This is part of your spiritual activity. This is part of, the, part of the spiritual conflict, how you fight the good fight of faith. The Bible said we got the same spirit of faith. Like they, like the patriarchs, they believed and they spoke. We also believe and we speak. Got to speak up. I said you got to speak up. Your bill's not getting paid? Things not working right in your finances? Come on, help me. Speak up. I said you got to speak up. Speak up. You got stuff going on in your body that shouldn't be going on? What do you got to do? You got to speak up. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Say. Say. Keep on saying. Isn't that what the the Lord did when he walked the earth? When the enemy tried to do a storm, what did he do? Did he speak up? Did he rebuke the wind? Did he rebuke the waves? I mean, with Peter's mother-in-law, when she was taken with a great fever, he spoke to the fever. He rebuked. Jesus is talking to a fever. He spoke to the fever. People say, well, you know, who do you think you are? You know, trying to act like Jesus. I thought that was the idea. You got a better example for us to follow and act like? How many know if Jesus spoke against the enemy's activity, you should speak against storms? Is that right? If he spoke against fevers, you should speak against fevers. Your baby's burning up with fever. You don't just say, well, you know, I don't know why God's doing this to my baby. He's not doing this to your baby. There's an enemy. Speak against it. Fever? Get off my child in Jesus' name. And don't mealy mouth about it. Mean business. Jesus was silent and took it. The affliction, the oppression. So we could speak up. Come on, can you see it? So we could speak up. He said, I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom. What are they? You bind it. You loose it. How many understand? You're going to have to speak up if you bind it. And Lucy. <laughs> you're getting stirred up at least a little bit. <laughs> Go to now, I think you're ready for Acts 22. Go to Acts 22. Praise God. Let the redeemed of the Lord say it. Say. Say. I'm redeemed. I'm redeemed. No, we don't have that at our house. No, in Jesus' name, get out of here. In Jesus' name. Get, get, get. I mean, at the first symptoms, the first indication of flu, colds, come on, y'all with me? Allergies, what do you start doing? Start talking to it. Say, no, you don't. No, you don't. Get out of here in Jesus' name. I bind you up. I shut you down. Is that resisting the devil? Is that refusing to give the devil any place? Is that acting on the keys the Lord gave us? Is it all Bible? Is this Bible? Bible. Bible, Bible. Acts 22. This is such a beautiful graphic picture of what we've been talking about here. I get stirred up every time I read it. Maybe you'll get even more excited this time. Acts 22, then I'm, I'm saying then the last time, 
whenever you read it. How many think you should always get more? You should always get more. Always get more. Acts 22, Paul has been preaching all over the place. And uh, everywhere he goes, they have revival and riots. <laughs> they, uh, they called him and his company the, the ones that had turned the world upside down. <laughs> uh, we should not be able to do what the Lord tells us to do and nobody notice. Some people are going to love it. Some people are going to hate it. That's what they did with Jesus. That's what they did with Paul. So you'll be in good company. But uh, in Acts 22, they got so upset that the mob tried to kill him. And uh, the, the Roman centurion and soldiers that had responsibility for keeping the peace in that town, they saw this mob and they broke in on them and took Paul away from them. And uh, took him away. And uh, in verse uh, 24, Acts 22, 24, after he got him out of the mob and crowd, the chief captain commanded Paul to be brought to the castle and bade that he should be examined by scourging. Now this is the same kind of thing that happened to Jesus. That he might know wherefore they cried so against him. This is describing they're going to torture Paul. They're going to beat him and ask questions and beat him. People died from scourging. So the scripture says, verse 25, as they bound him with thongs. So they're tying him to the whipping post with leather strips. Paul, now you get this picture, they're tying him over on the pole, and he turns around and speaks up. Hallelujah. Oh, is anybody listening or not? He says, are y'all reading or not? Verse 25. What, what does he say? What does he say? Is it lawful for you to scourge a man who's a Roman and uncondemned? Not guilty. Is is it legal? Do you have a right to do this to a citizen who has rights and who is not condemned guilty or judged guilty? And uh, verse 26, when the centurion heard that. Now the centurion, you know, a few months back we talked about the centurion and what happened with all that? This is a powerful man in this area. I mean, his words, life and death in a lot of situations. When he heard that, he went to his superior, the chief captain, and he said, uh, watch out. Don't take heed means. Watch out what you're doing. This man is a Roman. <laughs> now, let me just stop right here. What also is not happening right now? <laughs> He's not getting beat. Is that right? He's, he's not getting tortured. Maybe he's still tied to the post. I don't know. But he's not, he's not getting scourged. Why? Come on, help, help me out. Why? He spoke up. He spoke up. So then the chief captain came. He leaves his office. He comes down. He personally comes over to Paul. And uh, he said, tell me. Are you a Roman? <laughs> and how many think Paul was really happy to say, yeah, yes I am. <laughs> Verse 28, the chief captain said, with a great sum, obtain I this freedom. Now, Rome was the biggest, most powerful thing in the earth, empire-wise. And if you were a Roman citizen, you had rights. If you were not a Roman citizen, you were nobody. I mean, they might get up in the morning and find somebody dead in the ditch over there from the night before. And one of the big questions was, are they a Roman? Right? Because if they're not, okay, get them out of there. And that might be the end of it. But if they're a Roman, it's a whole other deal. Romans had rights. And you could not punish a Roman 
who had not experienced a, a trial. And you could even appeal your case all the way up to the emperor. You know, Paul did that. Do you remember in the book of Acts? There was a point where he, he said, I appeal to Caesar. And they had to send him. Why? Because he was a citizen. He had rights. Oh, somebody say he had rights. He had rights. Chief Captain said, a great sum obtained I this freedom. Paul said, yep, but I was born free. <laughs> I was born into this. Oh, come on. Can you see anything to preach inside here? Are you a citizen? Has your name been written in the Lamb's book of life? Philippians says our citizenship is in heaven. Do you have rights? Do you have some rights? So when the enemy tries to tie you up, beat you down, what are you going to do? Jesus didn't open his mouth. He took it. He took the scourging. He took the mocking. He took the cross. He took the oppression. He took the affliction. He could have opened his mouth and legions of angels showed up and delivered him because he didn't deserve it. But if he'd have done that, you'd have had to take it too. I would have had no, would have had no rights, would have had no recourse. He kept his mouth shut and took it. Not so you could keep your mouth shut and take it. Come on, somebody say, I'm not going to take it. I'm not, I'm not going to take what? Anything that's in the curse of the law. I don't have to take it. It's not your job to make the symptoms disappear. It's not your job to make the circumstances instantly change with a blink of your eye. You're not saying it's not here. What are you saying? It doesn't have a right to be here. No matter what I'm seeing, no matter what I'm feeling, I've been redeemed. I'm a child of God. I have spiritual rights. Come on, are you with me? You tell the enemy, you can't beat me with that. You, you can't do this in my life. I bind it up. Yes. I forbid it. Yes. I resist it yes. in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Friend, I, I don't care what the doctor's report has been, how bad you may feel in your spirit, you can still do this. Yes. You can do this with every breath. You can do this with your last breath. And regardless of what we see or know, what is it that pleases God? Faith. It's the faith. It's the faith that we're exercising in this fight. When he told him this, he said, yeah, but I was free born. Verse 29, straightway they departed from him, which should have examined him. And the chief captain was afraid. Does that portray the enemy? Huh? He's tying you up. He brought all these symptoms in your life. He's causing all this problem. And what you need to do is say, hey, hey, hey. Is it legal? Devil, is it legal for you to do that? I resist you in Jesus' name. And I'm telling you what, when you do that, the Holy Spirit comes on the scene. That's why he's going to run. He's going to run. He was afraid. He was afraid because he knew he was a Roman because he had tied him up. You did what? You tied up a Roman? <laughs> That's why the enemy will run when you realize who God has made you and what he's done for you and what authority you have in his name. Stand on your feet, everybody.